Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. On today, we have all three of the hosts, and we're in our series on just talking, talking about what we've heard for the last eight years, what we hear you bringing to us, what we hear from talking to people out in the field. But uh, welcome today, Tim, Sean, thanks for coming on. Thank you guys, how are you doing? We, I am doing great. Um, and uh, we, we are in the, the now and the present with uh, these recordings, so they will be released shortly after we, we record them. Uh, being as such, we have some current topics, and we were just talking about this before the uh, show and getting a little bit excited about some of the points. But, uh, Sean, why don't you kind of bring up what uh, what we're going to look at for a topic today? Um, so one of the things that happened earlier this week, um, unless you're you know, living under a rock, the uh, big uh, FAA debacle earlier this week. Um, the FAA made an announcement and grounded all flights uh, in the United States for uh, a while. So um, not all flights that were in there, but they wouldn't allow any flights to take off after what was supposedly reported as a corrupt database file. Um, so, of course, that had a, an impact. The FAA says it wasn't affecting more than 1%. But anytime you ground uh, the entire country from being able to fly, uh, of course, that's going to be a big issue and a big discussion. So I think that's uh, one of the things that we're talking about. Um, and then what are the other implications? Yeah. So, so and, and with, without some saying, you know, sources and everything, we talk to a lot of people in the industry. Sean, you had some information on, you know, the 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 ear to the ground, how this was or could have been or wasn't a cyber threat. Talk about what you uh, what you know there. Yeah, so I was first notified by Department of State. I do a lot of international travel, so I have uh, a couple of alerts. Um, I also have some colleagues at work in um, uh, transportation, Department of Transportation, and then um, it, with the FAA and the FCC as well. So uh, a lot of information was being passed around. They were trying to figure out exactly what was going on. Initially, it was reported that there was a corrupt database file. It was not a cyber attack. Um, now, here towards the end of the week, the report last night came out that um, it is believed that two contractors uh, working for the FAA actually, actually we're, doing we're doing something, something with the with system, system. they still haven't determined whether it was accidental, accidental or intentional, intentional but, but the change, the change that they made was not, was not scheduled was not implemented correctly and was the root cause of the disruption therefore having to reboot the system um, get the everything back online which leads into change management discussion maybe a business continuity disaster recovery um, you know go back to it's a, a cybersecurity framework issue with natural critical infrastructure transportation when you ground all flights from being able to take off in, in the country that's an issue so which one of those issues do we want to tackle first? So, you know, that, that sounds like it started with the conversation. 
hey, look at what I have access to. You know, how often have we heard that one? Right. <laughs> yeah. Is it the right thing to do? The change? Was it the right time to do it? Did you go through a change management process? And you know, what level of access do you have to be able to do that unsupervised without you know deconfliction and what's the impact based on the risk associated with that change? Well, I think it's pretty big. Yeah, and how often do we end up in this situation with our corporations? Well, you know, from a business perspective, I mean, we talk about risk management all the time. Um, and having mature processes in place, uh, you need to identify your most critical processes, mean time to fail, mean time to repair. Um, what's the maximum tolerable downtime before you're out of business? How long can you be unavailable with critical business uh, flows for your employee or for retail or, or global um, company, company that provides provide services, services to your customers. To your customers. How, long How long can your customers, customers be without your site before it impacts your bottom line? Yeah, and you know what? Let's talk about this. We have, we're going to go on a break here from our sponsors. But, um, you know, the, the information you just talked about comes from your employees, who some of them have this overreaching access that they might not even want to divulge or, or let you know they have. So you have to rely on them to tell you about something that would restrict themselves. So let's talk about having that conversation with, within the business. We'll be right back. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier on our Just Talking uh, series with uh, Tim Montgomery, uh, Sean Murray, and myself, Christopher Gorog. Um, before the break, we talked about, uh, you know, the the FAA issue earlier this week, the grounding, and kind of the cause of that and some access from contractors that were able to put something in without a process control. Uh, and before the break, I mentioned, hey, those same employees that have the access to do that are the ones setting up the processes or telling the management what process needs to be set up to control their own access. How do we have, how do we start that conversation and get those people who might be unwilling to give up permission they have to start to regulate and take take precautions against these type of problems? Yeah, yeah, most, um, most of the time you go back to... Uh, the uh, configuration management process is like step maturity of that process. Um, in my experience is working with uh, different departments of the government, we usually have a very mature process. Uh, a lot of individuals who had to buy off on it. On top of that, there's a lot of regulated tiering inside uh, access. So you got like the least privilege access. You got a separation of duty type concepts that all apply to the privileges that uh, administrative you know, if you do a task administratively, they would apply here. 
So those policies should be in place and reviewed annually, uh, two times a year, three times a year, whatever it takes. And I'm sure this after action report for the FAA is going to, going to entail some of those factors and the configuration management is supposed to be bought off. So um, as an engineer, system engineer, oftentimes we'd have to go through a lengthy process and have a contingency for things that would occur in the middle, even if they bought off on maintenance windows to do such a thing. Um, so you'd have a backup plan somehow. I mean, there are gotchas, there's exceptions, things of that nature, but this would be thought out multiple individual groups that buy off on the concept of being able to do such a thing and what the impacts are and how do we, you know, regain and recover from that. So, yeah, uh, I think one I mean, of the things, though, that, things that are seems like failures in this case. Yeah, one of the things in there, though, is that that sounds like a mature organization. And you just yeah. talked about that in the government's mature organizations. I remember as an early a young developer, and I'll, I'll kind of get myself in a little bit of trouble here, but I remember looking through, we were connecting to databases to do our testing and our development. And there was a couple of databases at the company that were just out there. So I tried to log on to them with my tool and left the password blank and it logged in. And I thought it was really funny because I was sitting there going through the the accounting soft, the accounting database. I'm like, oh, so this guy makes this much, this guy makes this much. but. I told on myself and said, hey, this is open. This should be taken care of. But a just, well, I like this access. I don't want to tell anybody because it'll go away. Could have also been my approach. Yeah, it's the new talking, you know, now we're talking about other principles like need to know and least privilege, right? So I only get access to the system at the level that I need to be able to do my job and know more. And then the data itself, the information that may be sensitive in nature, um, you know, simple policies such as a non-disclosure agreement in the event that you do get access to sensitive information that you shouldn't have, right? So, but least privilege says, I only get access to what I need to be able to do my job. Well, um, the same applies to the information. Just because I have a top secret clearance doesn't mean I get access to all the top secret information. I only get access to what I need to be able to do my job. Anything outside of that should be true. Yeah. yeah, and usually in cybersecurity, there's logging methods, and we review those typically monthly. Mm -hmm. So password control policies that should be in place, um, we do know that there's mishaps. However, those policies should be in place to catch such things, and reviews should be controlled. Um, that are our continuous monitoring methods. So yeah, you know, I, I kind of go back to I was with a younger <laughs> company that didn't have those in 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 effect, and I'm. Seen that even with more mature private sector companies where they really rely on the employees to, to give them that information, to have access and to restrict themselves. Um, seems like there's a there's a a almost a conundrum there with, you know, what is the difference between really tight controls and tight bureaucracy and the problem we had today or this week? Yeah. But, um, you know, the federal government, all federal agencies are required to follow uh, NIST, RMF, so the Risk Management Framework Certification Accreditation Process. I can't imagine that this NOTAM system uh, was not required to be certified and accredited. And one of the biggest controls, that control categories that we have under RMF is identity and access management, access control. So controls of access did the two um, admins have 
and uh, change management is another major category under 853 that controls digest associated with RNAP. What level of access did they have? And then what was the change management process for a what I would consider to be a critical system? And what are the checklists that we go through? Is it a ticketing system? Back to Tim's point, uh, what are the stakeholders who got to be notified and give input? And did we test the change in a, in a, in a trusted environment before we implemented it on the live operational you know, critical system? Um, those are all questions that I think need to be answered. And, and I think that this is a really good case study for us in, in a cyber industry to reflect back on and say, hey, this is what happened. This is you know what should be uh, implemented, and then use that not just in regular business, but for the government as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it'd be definitely a good case. Study. We'll see what comes out of that. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like I mean, it could be a couple things. Could be that this particular parameter wasn't identified as critical, or it could be that uh, the procedure wasn't followed, or a control didn't work. I mean, I, I think we don't have enough information to know for this particular case, but definitely that the the level of importance of this system uh, warranted a little bit uh, tighter controls than probably they had. You would think, yeah, yeah, that this system would have had those, like you said, the RMR controls, and pretty tight, whatever they, uh, whatever the fits category that this thing had, had at least have, you know, 400 plus controls that had to cover. Well, and then it goes back to, did they actually follow the procedures that were in place? They may have gone to the board. They may have gone through all the regulations required. I reflect back on a similar situation in a previous contract that I was on with the federal government, where we actually had, uh, we were decommissioning a satellite program, and we were dispositioning a lot of the equipment was, that was in the rack, but not everything in that cabinet was being decommissioned. And because of that, not everybody had a need to know of what the things that weren't being commissioned, decommissioned were, because they were providing sensitive capabilities for other government agencies. But I went to the government lead and said, hey, we should probably have a change procedure specifically for how we're going to decommission um, and disposition these assets in that cabinet. And he agreed. And so we, we, I got some pushback from the program manager. We don't have time to develop procedures just for this. We do this stuff all the time. And so the government said, you're going to do it anyway in the, in the risk management meeting in the CCB, the Change Configuration Board. And so fast forward two weeks, um, I get a, I get an emergency phone call from the network administrator saying, you need to come in here. When I got into the data center, the two admins did not follow the procedures. They took a pair of scissors and cut through all the fiber optics in the top of the cabinet, loosened all the bolts, and they, their strategy was to take the entire cabinet down the elevator to the loading dock and disposition the whole thing. So they severed, they severed critical communications to several different uh, federal agencies because they didn't follow the procedures that they were required to. And we specifically identified the risk to make sure that they did that. And then they didn't follow those procedures. Yeah. Sounds like in that case, and maybe even this case with the FAA, that they have too many critical systems that either aren't redundant or too close and they can all be shut down at the same time. Or, on the, you know, they don't have that, that's, that division for redundancy in place. 
Well, and then there's an indication that it may, may, may not be, the oversight may not be the government. Looks like a couple of contractors are maintaining that, that critical system. So where's the oversight on behalf of the government? Who's the cyber security, the ISO, the ISSM, um, that's oversight over that system as well? Yeah. yeah. Let's take a break and hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. We want to continue this conversation. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier on our Just Talking series. Tim Montgomery, Sean Murray, and myself, Christopher Gorog. Uh, before the break, we were, we were talking about... Um, Con business continuity and uh, redundancy. Tim, I think you were about to contribute, but I'll turn it back over to you. Okay. Well, um, in, the, in this, and we're talking about the FAA's case here, in many cases, and many agencies too, um, their uh, systems, uh, as they start out legacy and merging, the infrastructure changes throughout uh, a few decades now, at least from my experiences. Um, you don't oftentimes see uh, the re a factor of redundancy. Um, we do talk about the cost uh, effects or efficiencies of use of taxpayers' dollars. That becomes a, a very prominent factor when it comes to uh, you know reproducing the same system twice. So the idea of redundancy becomes very costly. Um, but uh, I mean, certain specific agencies have the ability to not only do that now with Cloud Factor uh, being on-premise or off-premise. Um, it's just, it's how, how can we get there from here if there's no redundancy? Redundancy is an important piece, I think, um, especially in this FAA case. If there was, a, especially this specific system that had to be shut down and rebooted, you would think that they would actually have something in place because this one is, is very important for, you know, all of traffic, for all the flight it looks like because we see the result of it shutting down and not being able to come back up like it should have effectively. So it makes you wonder why this idea of redundancy, it, maybe it's being played in, maybe it's not there yet, maybe there's a plan, but it's very important, I think, in this case, for the, for the FDA to actually look and examine this that way. So maybe, um, you know, a couple of years ago, these type of systems didn't exist. It's new things that have been slid, slid in, the openness of information um, to, to, maybe it's something just not identified, slipped through the cracks and the first time it's ever happened, first time it's ever came up. It's true. I do know that in agencies across the board, though, and I'm sure Sean agree, that this is an ongoing, consistent factor in system building um, for every agency, every company, every corporation, anyone doing IT business and understanding ramifications of the requirement of availability, right? In CIA, through that. Yeah, availability. And then we kind of, before the show, we were talking about, um, you know, the, the uh, availability of information in the aviation sector and the uh, open responders and the ability to track planes. We can do this as a public, but it, 
it sounds like the systems that they're using where you know can be shut down but the public ones are open what what do you think about that balance anybody uh Sean I know you downloaded it but there's an app called Flight Radar 24 yeah you know in it, it's funny um we were talking about this and we were looking at the privacy implications and then um what are the intelligence implications of an application like this but you know, um, my daughter actually is flying in and, and I was able to actually zoom in on the airport and I was able to, based on how many airplanes are in the terminal where I know she would be, I basically put my finger on that aircraft and there it came up. There's my daughter's flight. Uh, I can do a 3D representation of the airport aircraft. And this thing is constantly refreshing, showing me all of the flights that are happening and, and where they're located. I mean, the intelligence aspect of it from all of us being former military and working from the government. I mean, this is the kind of stuff we trained on about, you know, um, OPSEC, right? And, you know, how to share information, how to use that information. It's pretty cool if you're using the, the app just to track, you know, your loved ones or your aircraft that are coming in. but. What if you're the terrorist that knows that the other person uh, that's on uh, the other terrorist you're communicating with is uh, needs to show up 10 minutes later because the flight's delayed that is the target that they're going after uh, or other various things that might be happening? It's yeah, I, was, I was sitting in a restaurant whenever the, the news came up that the flights were grounded and somebody opened up this app and said, oh, yeah, but there's a couple planes still flying over wherever and wherever in Nebraska and stuff. And I was like, what are you looking at? Couldn't believe that this thing existed. Yeah, I didn't even know about it. And, you know, it, it's not till you have a conversation with somebody and, and you learn just different things. Why our industry is so great. I mean, if I had to do the same thing every single day, I, I'd be bored out of my mind. But um, we change every single day. Yeah, the facets to the industry is unbelievable. Never in. It really just seems like I mean, when I see that information that you're talking about, that there should be some more restriction from just anybody having access to that. The question I got is, how do you get access to transponders on aircraft, and why is that something that the public should have access? Yeah, why is it publicly available at all for an app to go reach out to? That would be my big question. I think there's a massive factor in there that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Well, apparently they, um, and the same conversation I had with the person said, oh, yeah, somebody has been tracking Elon Musk and posting on Twitter everywhere that his plane landed. And it was actually one of the reasons why he was going after Twitter to buy it or something, because he wanted to shut this guy down. And... He did when he first bought Twitter and then political changes, he, he turned him back on and everything because he thought, you know, hey, I don't want to be known as censoring as soon as I buy something. But it was very upsetting enough to him to, you know, it's a problem, you know. It's being used for some purpose that could create something for someone that would be a problem, you know. So we all know that information, fluent information is a great thing in today's society. However, when it evolves into being used for malice or activities that would harm someone else, which sounds like this is what it's alluding to, 
then then that's where cybersecurity professionals have to step in and uh, figure out what to do to prevent create preventive needs, if not downright stop it because it becomes a crime. So. And that's a violation of privacy too, right? That's a big factor. You know, it's funny because I, I think that we haven't defined what a violation of privacy is. We've re, we've defined what the requirements for data storage and the privacy around data records are, and that's what GDPR and California Consumer Privacy does. But your rights to privacy on in digitally, very undefined anywhere. And as yeah, Sean was saying, that that too, the the uh, oh, good Sean talked about last time was the your the. The, your biometrics information and data. Mm -hmm. But you were saying about the intelligence industry <clears throat> kind of being at odds because they want this to be available, but yet why should individual citizens or consumers have access to intelligence information? Where's that border? Yeah, when it comes to intelligence, especially in the United States, the laws are different. Um, when we talk about intelligence information, we're not, you know, intelligence in the United States, intelligence agencies and counterintelligence agencies are not allowed to collect on U.S. citizens uh, unless there's a nexus with a foreign entity. And so that, that that's very cut and dry. Uh, but when you're talking outside of the country and you're collecting information, uh, take a look at, you know, the, the Snowden breach, right? He, uh, he identified several tools that our intelligence agencies were using to collect data on citizens all over the world. And people were like, oh, in the EU, President Merkel out of Germany, for example, uh, was one of the, uh, the high prominent uh, people that were being tracked. And so everybody's pressing, well, you have to comply with GDPR. No, they don't. We're an intelligence agency. Everybody collects on everybody. We just got caught because somebody got in there and disclosed the tools that we were using. But we're not because it happens all the time. But we as regular citizens don't fall under the intelligence law. So um, as a company, as a as an individual or as a nonprofit organization, what are our our responsibilities with these types of applications and this type of information? Yeah, and I've heard a couple times said, and I, I think I'm kind of in agreement with this that. We need a kind of a Magna Carta type of agreement. And maybe it's, it's something that the UN looks at that says, what are the rights? What are the responsibilities? What are the limitations of power? What are the rights of the citizen? Um, it's just something that we haven't come to the progression point that we've done yet. Yeah, there's also a trade-off that needs to be evaluated between the consumer, the private citizen, and the technology that they use. Oftentimes, they willingly give away their information or um, uh, or their their privacy just by clicking on an app or you know not even reading what the the agreement is, and you know you just want access to the app. You just want access to the website. So what are you giving away with, you know, with your own um, consent? Yeah, I guess I would ask, you just downloaded and installed that Flight Radar 24 app. What was the privacy statement on that? Yeah, so they do have a privacy statement. Uh, I have not created an account. I have not transitioned any data into the uh, app itself. But um, if I want access to additional features, uh, I will have to um, agree to that, you know, the privacy um in the the data collection the metadata the 
statistics in the uh, uh, looking at it here. Yeah, I'll have to agree to be able to get access to those additional. So additional features include satellite view, hybrid view, um, changing the different logos representing aircraft and airplanes, but the additional features we require to accept that agreement. Mm -hmm. But they already got an IP address and location through through your provider network. Tim, I know you opened it up on the on the on the computer, right? Yeah. So there's they've already got an IP address of where it came from. I mean, the the amount of information they collect on anybody, and if you hear this on the show and pop over and start looking at it, now they have a wider preference their sampling of of data coming in. Yeah, as an individual, um, I can access a, a site off the this, the same type of app he's got on his phone on the internet and on my computer. Um, I'm just collecting data from the access points that we are trying to uh, gain information from that site. Um, and then, of course, you're talking about user accounts. I didn't have to do that, and I didn't have to click on anything there that knew that I was going to give up information at all. Um, so it's not at least warning me and asking me to, to provide something that I can send to. Um, the, I mean, those are two factors there. So as a user, as I log in, I can see giving up my data being collected from, and then I have to uh, really, like a ULA type of, or EULA type of, uh, you know, agreement that I have, like Microsoft has for its licensing. Um, so, I, you know, those are two factors. From the perspective of the individuals on those planes, though, Mm -hmm. They didn't read anything, and you're getting data about their movements right now yeah. in real time. Yeah, and what rights do they have to that? Yeah, what rights do they have? So, I mean, you're talking about three different perspectives here when it comes to privacy, right? Yeah. And what country yeah. was that in, Sean? I think you looked at that, right? Uh, it was, uh, would you say, Tim, I think it was Sweden? Yeah, it was Sweden. The company was in Sweden. The original app was created from a Swedish company. So, I mean, it question, I question, I just question the understanding of privacy when it comes uh, with the type of app using these type of resources. I mean, we've touched on um, several different factors here, I think, and it's just worth examining how this is possible and what it actually is doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I, I chair digital privacy for IEEE. We look at these type of things. But I mean, it's been a year of, of looking at it and gathering people, and everybody comes in with, well, let's look at this. What's somebody already doing? We're not, we can't seem to get ahead of it. It's something that's, and that's why I said, kind of defining what the Magna Carta is, what the requirements are for all the players involved uh, seems to be a first step because right now we're just chasing our tail. We're analyzing one app and saying, well, what are they doing? What have we already got tracking us? What information are we already giving up? Now let's decide whether we like that or not. We kind of got to get ahead of that, that game. I will tell you, you know, there was a couple of years ago, I was at a conference and I was watching a presentation from one of the uh, big dog telecommunications prior providers. I won't say which one, but it's a Verizon, Sprint, AT&T, T-Mobile type company that was providing uh, real-time information and sharing data regarding cell phones that each cell phone you know, every mobile device that's connected through a, a, a cellular network has a unique ID associated with it for broadcasting. 
So if you think about when law enforcement is doing investigations, they, you know, if, if they're, you know, investigating somebody in their cell phone, what cell tower did they uh, hit? What time stamps do they have? And what they were showing was they actually have, well, we also provide services for VIPs within the federal government and other governments. And they were literally showing where secret agents were, or secret service agents were located on a visit to Mexico. Uh, they were showing regular users, they were showing government users, they were showing emergency workers, and um, where these people were in, in real time. So, you know, we're talking about the FAA, but what about the telecommunications? There's a lot more devices than there are aircraft, uh, you know, being brought to right now. Yeah. We're kind of reaching the end of our time, but I think we, we touched on something here that, that is near and dear to me, at, at least, uh, I don't know, is that, you know, something needs to be done to try to get ahead of this discussion. What are the, the positive objectives, parameters, frameworks, Magna Carta that we need to set up that says, you know, where, what's acceptable? Acceptable use policy almost for this citizen in the digital age. Kind of end with that, unless you guys have any last minute closing thoughts. We could go on about this forever. So. Yeah, I think it's a big, big issue going on there. No, I'm good. So thank you. All right. Well, we'll see you on another show. Thanks for joining today. As always, reach out to us, send us your thoughts for people you want to have on with us or topics and uh, for, for how we can elaborate, how we can impact the industry. What can we help drive forward? We're always open. Thanks a lot for joining today. Thanks, everybody. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at newcyberfrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.